0: My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And, um, if you're visiting with us, I uh, just would love to give you a warm welcome. I uh, add my welcome as well. This is the part of our gathering where uh, every week we come to the Scriptures, which we believe is God's word to us, his message uh, to us. And um, it's my uh, sacred responsibility to uh, unpack for us what we believe God is saying to us through uh, the Scripture. This is an exciting day for us as a church family, and so again, if you're visiting, um, just to kind of explain what's going on, um, as we uh, as we gather and under under and hear God's word to us, which is always good news. God's word to us is always good; it's always a message um, that is really good news for us, and um, is meant to uh, incite worship in us. Is meant to not just. Terminate with a message that we receive, but God's desire always is that it would spark in us love for, for him and a response of worship. And so we, um, and we believe that worship happens best in community. And so after I'm done talking for a bit, uh, we have what's called connection time where we gather together and uh, greet one another. There's coffee at the back. We gather the kids and we re- respond to God's message with intergenerational worship as the kids join us. And today, uh, in particular, is a a special time of worship because we are giving a special offering. This morning, this fall, we have been engaged in the Open Doors campaign where we have been seeking to discern together as a community um, how God would be calling us to open the doors of our community to the wider community in greater ways as a community of hospitality. And Part of that is a renovation of this uh, property here on Highway 55, which uh, takes some bucks. And so um, we've been interacting over the the last number of weeks uh, about and asking us to pray and to engage, to listen to God. Those of us who are uh, part of this uh, this church body to uh, actually give sacrificially, to dig down deep and to uh, rally together as a community to see um, this church advance for generations. And so we're going to be giving our three-year commitments uh, to this campaign uh, later on in our gathering, in our time of worship. And just want to note that if you're visiting with us, like we feel, please feel no obligation whatsoever. Uh, we, we're not after your money. We don't want you to give money. We want you to meet Jesus. That's what... Um, that's what our church is all about. And so this fall, as we've been um, launching that vision, we've been seeking to share what are some of the core values that Cornerstone needs to remember to hold on to in, in this season of transition in some ways, in this season where, you know, it's, it'll be so easy to focus on a building project, what are the values that we need to hold dear, what are the things that need to shape us as a community. And so we've talked about things like our message is Jesus, that what we proclaim to the wider world is not how awesome we are, not how great Cornerstone is, not our brand, but our message is that Jesus is awesome, that the, that the person, that the work of Jesus is incredible news, and he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our devotion, and so we want to proclaim Jesus, and we want to share good News and his good news with this world. We've talked about things like where we have uh, the sacred privilege of living generous lives, that the gospel creates a generous dynamic in us. And so, generosity is our privilege, that there is no obligation. We give obligation away and, and duty, we, we throw that behind us, and we say, We, we walk in privilege. Um, we, we talked about that Christianity in following Jesus is not. Uh, is not about me and my God, it's about us and our God, that that uh, it creates a community dynamic. We've talked about how it's not segregated to any one part of our lives, that worship of Jesus informs all of our life. Last week we talked about being an intergenerational community, where generations aren't just present, but they actually mix and, and encourage one another and teach one another. This morning, uh, the value I want to share and talk about and, and show from the scripture is uh, a value that we face outwards. That as a community, as a church community, uh, to be true to the scripture, we believe we need to have an outward face. That while it's yes about us and our God, and while we, yes we need to, to nurture Christian fellowship and nurture, um, uh, which, which is a fancy way of saying building friendships within the church, uh, we, we, we need to certainly do that in accountability relationships and caring relationships it always Cornerstone must maintain an outward face to the community that surrounds us. I want to root that and, and, to, and I want to share that, This is show how this is a biblical narrative. And by biblical narrative, we mean this is like one of the storylines of the Scripture. We, we believe the Scripture isn't, isn't just like made up of a lot of different stories, that the Scripture really tells one big story. Through the stories like David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den, through those stories, they compose one great grand story. And these story, this great grand story has themes. And one of the themes that I want to share is how um, the grace of God, God's goodness towards us, God's kindness towards us, creates an outward dynamic in his people, always. And uh, I want to share why that's good news. And to launch into that, I want to share... Um, what may seem like a bit of a strange passage for that, but Luke 24, verse I'm going to start reading at verse 44. I'm going to launch out from there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time right here, but uh, the context here is that Jesus has been crucified. He's been killed. He's been in the grave for parts of three days, and he's risen again, and he's appeared to some of his disciples, and so um, his followers, there's some, some rumors are starting to spread, and some are saying Jesus is alive, and we've seen him, and we've touched him. And this is Easter Sunday still, and, and so there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of uh, hopefulness, there's a lot of skepticism. And two of those um, disciples, Cleopas and probably his wife, um, are walking from Jerusalem, seven miles out of town, to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus joins them on this walk, and and they don't recognize him because he's in a glorified state, and so we don't know exactly why they don't recognize him. Maybe it's the darkening of their eyes supernaturally. Maybe it's Jesus just looks so different because he's now risen, and he's got this glorified body, Um, but Jesus is uh, talking with these guys on the seven-mile walk out of town, out of Jerusalem. And, um, and they're saying, and they're telling this stranger, who's Jesus, and they're telling him about how um, they were followers of Jesus. And the whole city is in uproar because Jesus, uh, this, this um, miracle worker, this, one, this, this man with us high profile, has been publicly executed. And now some people are starting to say that he's risen from the dead, and so they're sharing this news, and Jesus is playing dumb. He's like, tell me about what's going on. And, uh, and then he says this, beginning of verse 44. He says, um, of verse 44 is, is actually after um, he reveals himself to them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are my witnesses of these things i am going to send you what my father has promised that's referring to the holy spirit the third person of the trinity but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high and so jesus here in luke gives the summary for jesus how jesus would summarize the entire scripture that was written to this point and what he says is, all of Scripture is teaching that the Christ, the Messiah, with this this what at times is this mysterious figure in the Old Testament Scripture and the Hebrew Scriptures, this mysterious promised coming King and Savior. He's saying the whole Old Testament is telling us that this coming King, this Messiah, this Christ, needs to be crucified, needs to rise again. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations. Now, this is actually, you say, well, what does that have to do with being an outward facing church? Christopher Wright is, uh, is a brilliant biblical scholar, and he, he wrote this. He wrote two incredible books that have been very, very influential on in me. One's called The Mission of God, and one's called The Mission of God's People. But The Mission of God, um, Christopher Wright is talking about this passage, and he seems to be saying is what Jesus is saying is that the whole of the Scripture, which we now know as the Old Testament, finds its focus and its fulfillment both in the life and death of Israel's Messiah and in the mission to all nations, which flows out of that event. So he's saying the whole Old Testament, the whole Scripture, finds its what Jesus is teaching is that the whole Scripture finds its fulfillment in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the mission to the nations that flows out of that event. And so he goes on and he says, The proper way for disciples of the crucified and risen Jesus to read their scriptures is messianically and missionally. Messianically and missionally. So we read the scripture not just to find principles for our life. Not just as the rule book for our life. Not as the owner's manual if you will. It's not just to say, how can I live a better life? We read the scripture to find Jesus. Because the scriptures reveal Jesus as needing to have been living the perfect life, dying in our place, rising again, and sending us out. And so he says, you read the scriptures messianically, looking for Jesus. And you read the scriptures missionally. That the scriptures find its fulfillment in the mission to all nations that results out of the death of and resurrection of Jesus. And so as a church, we want to read the scriptures messianically. Our message is Jesus. We want to kind of shy away from the ten principles for a fulfilled life. And a happy life. And three things that you got to do today to make your marriage better. And say, our message isn't about what you need to do. Our message is about what Jesus has done. And is doing. And how he can work in and through your marriage. And how he can work in and through your life. And we want to read the, 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 the scriptures missionally. Which means it's, we want to look at it through the lens of taking this message. And keeping it not just for ourselves, us four and no more. and But taking it out to the nations. To taking it out to see all kinds of people come to know Jesus as the Messiah. As the Christ, as the Savior, as the King. So how do we see it? missionally as well now so i want to take us on a bit of a journey through the old testament and and show us that this has always been god's call on his people that to not turn inward not just focus in on us and ourselves and our fellowship and our us for and no more mentality but it's always been to not only relate to god but to represent god to the world that surrounds us. So God has a great concern for Israel's call to the nations all throughout the Old Testament. That He has this great concern that Israel Israel would fulfill God's role for her. See, Israel in the Old Testament was, was God's people, the people that where God made His presence known, where God lived among them, where God um, where God showed His glory and revealed His grace and gave His word and gave His truth. And so but he all throughout the scripture his role for Israel was to declare to the other nations that God is the one true and living God and to invite them to leave their idols and to turn to this living God to trust in him to treasure him to love him with with all of their heart that that's always been God's heart for his people that they would relate to him and that they would represent him to the world relate to him so the world would know how, what this great God is like so that the world around us could know that God is a God of justice and mercy, that God is a God of grace and of love, that he is the one true God who is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and, and, and steadfast love. That's always been God's longing for his people to relate to him and to represent him. Know me, love me, find yourself in me, relate to me. And then I want you to represent me. I want to bring you in so I can send you out. That's always been God's heart for his people from the time that they were formed. You see, in the Old Testament scripture, or in, in anywhere in the scripture, anytime someone really meets God as he really is, as he, as he unveils his glory, and you get a, just a... a, a a bit of a glimpse of God's glory about who he is and how magnificent he is and how great his grace is. Whenever your eyes are just opened a little bit and you have this glimpse that God is incredibly glorious, it always pushes people out into mission. Mission is a Latin word, missio, which means to be sent. It means to be telling that, that when you see God how he really is, it destroys a consumer mentality. When you, where you say, "Well, well, what's in it for me?" It's, it, it's a I need I need to I need to get out there and I need to tell others about this. Every time someone sees God for who He really is, they lose their consumer mentality, and they say, "I'm going to risk. I'll sacrifice. I'll suffer loss. I will go. I will do whatever it takes to serve the people around me, to meet their name, needs in the name of Christ." So Genesis chapter twelve. God calls Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 comes after, right after Genesis chapter 11. Right. Genesis chapter 11 is about the Tower of Babel. Or Babel. The Tower of Babel, there is one people. There is one people group. One nation. One, one language. One culture. One, one ethnicity. And uh, they try to exalt themselves. They build this tower. And, but God confuses the languages. And now at the end of Genesis chapter 11, there's 70 nations. There's 70 language groups. There's 70 people groups on the face of the earth. So there's this scattering of, of people all throughout the earth, and they're different, different cultures, different people groups. So in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 12, God selects one of these people groups. He calls Abraham. He calls Abraham and says, I'm going I'm to separate you. I'm choosing you and your people to be my people. That's where Israel is formed out of. And so that's why Abraham is called the father of the faithful, if you will. Because he had faith in God, and he was the father of Israel. So listen, though, to what the Lord says to Abram. His name was Abram at the time. It later got changed to Abraham. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I'm going to bless you. You're going to know me. Your name is going to be great. Your nation will be great. All these blessings lavished on him. It's one of the most important things in the ancient world, that you would be a great nation, that your name would be remembered. I'm going to make you great. So that, here's why. Here's why I'm going to bless you, so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, or through you really, through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to relate to you. I'm going to pour out my favor on you so that through you everyone else can be blessed as well. It's not an exclusive thing. It's not... You know, just us, forget the rest of them. Just you and me, kid. No, it's, you are going to represent me. Abraham, I'm going to pour out my blessing on you, God says. But it's not just for you. It's not just you and me. It's so that you would be a blessing to the rest of the world. That becomes a recurring pattern in the scripture. Relate to me and represent me to this world. Now, a long time ago, I, I listened to this lecture. I think it was on a cassette tape by a guy named Bob Shogren. And he, referring to this Genesis 12 passage, says the the message was given to Abraham in two simple parts. We'll call, he calls it the top line and the bottom line. The top line refers to God's blessing of Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. But the bottom line responsibility is that He he reveals that he wants his people to not only just enjoy that blessing, but to turn around and be a blessing to all the families on the face of the earth, resulting in God's greater glory. So Abraham, you will make my name known to all the families, to all the nations, to all the distinct cultures and people groups that exist. My name will be great among them. You're going to relate to me, top-line blessing. You're going to relate to me with a bottom-line responsibility. You're going to represent me to this world. Top-line blessing, bottom-line responsibility. I will be your God. You will be my people. You're going to relate to me. I'll be your provider and your defender, the lifter of your head, the forgiver of your sins, a father to you. I will bless you. Top-line blessing. Bottom-line responsibility. Not so that you can just sit there as a blessed person, but so that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed story of the Bible continues. Abraham multiplies. His descendants become great. He becomes a great nation, just like God said. And his descendants find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And they're crying out for deliverance. God raises up Moses. Now, he, God reveals his glory to Moses where? At the burning bush. There's a story of the burning bush. Jeff showed it on Prince of Egypt a few weeks ago here. God, he, he shows his glory to Moses. And, and so again... God pulls Moses in. He reveals himself to Moses. He shows Moses his glory and his greatness and his majesty, right? He pulls him in so that he would send him out. He says, go, go to Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh. Now, why does he send him to Pharaoh? This is how God is going to deliver his people in this mass exodus. But but we got to notice how God chooses to do all of this. God tells Moses, here's how we're going to do this. I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So you're going to go to him, and you're going to ask for the people to be let go, and he's going to say no. And then I'm going to bring a bunch of plagues on him and his people, and so there's frogs everywhere, and the sun goes dark, and the river Nile goes to blood, and all these crazy like sci-fi kind of last-time movie kind of plagues hit Egypt. I'm going to bring all these plagues and his people so that Pharaoh and the God of the Hebrews are going to have a showdown. We're going to have a duel. It's going to be God against Pharaoh. And God says, when it's all said and done, the whole world will know that Pharaoh is not God, but I am God. Now, I'm going to harden his heart so that we can have a duel so that everyone will know that I am God. So God repeatedly says in Exodus, I'm going to gain glory over Pharaoh. Now, finally, they escape. Finally, after the last plague and the oldest firstborn and every family is, uh, of Egypt is dead, Pharaoh says, get out of here. But then he changes his mind, and they pursue, and they come to the Red Sea. And in Exodus 14, listen to what God says. Listen to why God says he's going to do this. He says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he'll pursue you, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So why is God doing this? Scriptures say in another place that God holds the king's hand in the palm of his hand, turns it wherever he wants. So what would have happened if Moses came to Pharaoh and asked, let my people go? And God moves Pharaoh's heart to say, okay, here you go. You've worked hard for 400 years. Take a bunch of stuff with you. Get on out of here. Go be your people in Canaan. What would happen? Well, every year the people of God would get together and they'd have this big celebration in honor of who? In honor of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. They would sing songs about him, how generous Pharaoh was, how kind he was, how when we had a need, Pharaoh met that need. Now listen, God is not interested in exalting the renown and fame of Pharaoh. And so God says, we're going to do it a different way so that every year my people are going to come together and they'll say, our God is great, our God saves, our God delivers and rescues us, even when his enemies rise up against him. Our God is victorious. And so every year God's people celebrate Passover where they celebrate his rescue from slavery. But again, not just so that Israel would be a blessed people. Top-line blessing. God's rescuing us from Egypt. He loves us so much he's delivered. He's heard our cries for freedom. He's heard our cries of oppression. He's going to rescue us. Top-line blessing. Why does he do it in the way that he does? So that the Egyptians would know that he is God so that the Egyptians would know he's God. And when they leave in Exodus 12, it says a mixed multitude went up with them. Egyptians came along. Egyptians came along. And they were saying, we want to belong to this God and his people. Top line blessing. Ultimately, though, bottom line, is that God's fame would be increased so that the Egyptians, so that other nations, other peoples would see that he is God. We go on. Solomon builds a temple to God, and he's praying this great prayer of dedication. Top-line blessing. God has given us a temple where we can worship him, where we can gather and celebrate him and his grace, that he lives among us. We can enjoy his presence. Top-line blessing. Church is about us and experiencing great times of worship, right? Hearing mediocre messages and going out for a great lunch. Solomon's dedicating the temple, 1 Kings 8. This is what he prays. He says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When the foreigner comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people, Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. God, you're going to do such amazing, incredible things among us as your people. And it's not just for us and our enjoyment. But it's really to exalt and to lift up your reputation, your fame in this earth. And so the surrounding nations are going to know that you're God. And so God, you don't bless us just so that we can enjoy moments of blessing. It's really all about the movement of God being known in this world. Top line blessing, yes. Yes. We get to worship God. We get to enjoy his presence. We get to enjoy our, our, our fellowship, our, our community. But bottom line responsibility, that, that, so that others who don't yet know would come to know this great God. Psalm 67, just another example. Listen to this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Top line blessing. God, just shower your love on us. Make your face shine. Let us see your glory. That so we can know you and enjoy you. So that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Bottom line responsibility. Finish this verse. Be still. And know that I am God. Period, right? Life is crazy. Bills are due. The kids are nuts. Be still. Know that I am God. Oh, your presence brings peace. Yes. Bing. God is going to provide. God's going to care for me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46 is all about the nations stirring up against Israel and God saying, relax, I am going to be exalted in all the earth. The nations will know my great salvation. They'll know that I receive all who come to me in humble faith. Top line, blessing, relate to God, know him, love him, enjoy him, be his people. Bottom line responsibility, represent him to this world. That's what God wanted for Israel, but they continually failed in this. Israel, the story of the scripture of the Old Testament is really a story of Israel's failure in this, that they continually fail to represent God they continually fail to actually relate to him as well they're just a colossal failure they don't love him they forget about him they don't acknowledge him they don't hold his word as the authority over their lives they don't lean on him they go to other nations for security instead of crying out to god they go to other nations and say please protect us please help us instead of showing god to the other to the world they go to the world and become just like them. They don't show the world what God is like. Be holy for I am holy. Be just for I am just. Be merciful because I'm merciful. They, they go to the world and become just like them. They don't invite the nations to come to God. They go to the nations and become just like the nations. And so instead of pointing the nations to the one true and living God, they adopt the ethics of the other nations. They adopt the idols, the things of worship of the other nations. It's called syncretism. It's a fancy word. It's when you sync your life up. Like, so I have a phone, right? And you sync it up to your computer. That means that the information that's on the phone is now on the computer, and the information that's on the computer is now on the phone, right? We're synced up. We're same. We're the same. Same info. It's syncretism is when you sync your life up with the culture and conform to it and adopt the values and the, the, the ways of thinking and the ways of acting of the culture around us. When the people of God slip into syncretism... They lose their ability to influence the culture. You can only transform what you confront and contradict. Not what you conform to. This is what Israel did. So they just synced right up. And, and, but, and then we, we, as the story of the scriptures go on, you, we run into these people called the Pharisees. And they failed to represent God uh, in another way. They were just so separate. They wouldn't even, you know, I'm not going to eat a meal with a Gentile. They're dogs, right? They're, they're, they're religious fundamentalists. And so they're failing to rep- represent God because there's, they're so closed off from the rest of the world. They don't, want the, they don't want the world to hear about God's great deeds. They don't want the world to know about God's grace. That's us for and no more. And we, so we, Israel failed to represent God either by sinking up and becoming just like the world or withdrawing totally from the world. That's Israel's trajectory they fail in top-line living of relating to God loving God experiencing his presence and they fail in the bottom line living they fail to represent him But the story of the scripture is that where Israel fails Jesus succeeds that Jesus is the truer and better Israel Jesus is the true son of God So everything that Israel was supposed to be and do and fail at, Jesus fulfills completely he perfectly relates to God the father He perfectly represents God the Father. He loves the Father. He listens to the Father's every word. He does everything that's in the Father's heart for him to do and to say. And he leans on the Father. And then then he represents the Father. So much so that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, just look at me. I'm a perfect representation of him. And he ultimately reveals what God the Father is like when he goes to the cross. He perfectly reveals the love and the justice of God. He shows that God takes sin so seriously that he must punish it, but that he loves sinners so sincerely that he'll pardon them. Jesus makes it possible for God to do both. Sin gets dealt with, sinners get delivered. And so at the cross, we see the love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God, the wrath of God. Jesus fully represents the Father to this world. Not just for a certain ethnicity. It's not just for Israel. It's for every person, every nation. Perfect top line, perfect bottom line. The story story of the Bible is all about this. He leaves us with the commission. Go and preach. Proclaim this to God. Relate to God. Be baptized. Repent of your sins. Repent of centering your lives on him. Be baptized. Publicly align yourselves with him and his kingdom. Live your lives loving him, treasuring Him above all things, listening to him, building your life on his authority, not adjusting his word to fit your life, but adjusting your life to fit his word. Trust in him, not as a last resort, but come to him for what only he can do as we pray. Call this call to growing intimacy. Relate to God. Enjoy his presence. Receive His grace. Grace upon grace, but then bottom line responsibility so that we would represent him and be his witnesses to the nations. That we would live for his glory and his fame so that he would be loved, so that he would be treasured and worshipped in all the earth. And so we begin to see that our life, our lives and our life together is about renewing all things with the message and love of Christ. About showing his mercy and his love to this world and sharing this message with the world. So that we're here to represent God to this region. And we do that through word and deed. Word and deed. We Deed, we renounce syncretism. We stop taking our cues from the culture about who I'm supposed to be. Right? Change does not happen through imitation, only through confrontation. And so people of God, how do we bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus and represent him to this world by not syncing up with the culture, but by actually embracing the values and the vision of the kingdom of God? The vision of Jesus so we look different from this culture. This world is not our template. This world, this culture is not our template. We don't take our cues from this self-focused, pleasure-seeking culture that's addicted to consumerism. We relate to God and we represent him through our deeds. That we'll be a people of holiness and righteousness and purity. That will care for the weak. That will serve the marginalized and the oppressed. That we won't live our lives for the here and the now. But we'll... we'll We'll store up treasures in heaven. So where does your life and the life of our community look radically different from the cultural norm? Because it's increasingly conformed to Jesus. So we renounce syncretism. And it's word and deed. We renounce silence. There are no Christian mimes, right? There's no Christian mimes, like I'm trapped in a box of sin or anything like that. Christians have to be vocal. Not just acting it out, but explaining it demonstrating it, yes, but also declaring it. If we, do, if we just represent God by living good, living ethically and morally, we'll just be crushing. We, we won't give the power behind it, which is the relationship with God, which is the message of the grace of God that set us free from the love of these other things. We're only left with law if we don't have a word, if we don't have good news of Jesus where all we're left with is our example, which is a law, which is crushing. So we're called to be aliens and strangers in this world. We're called to be different, 1 Peter 2. Aliens, as aliens and strangers, as foreigners, as, as those whose citizenship isn't quite here. In the world, he says, though. He says, aliens and strangers in the world. And he says, so that the pagans, so that those, the world around us would see your good deeds and give glory to the father you're a city on a hill you're the light of the world so what are some applications for cornerstone community church we need to be a community where skeptics can feel that their questions and their doubts are taken seriously where it's we're not a crushing community if you would dare express some doubts or some skepticisms or some cynicism that we would not write you off but that we create places that are, that are low-pressure, that are safe, that have a, have a gospel culture, a, a welcoming culture, where we avoid insider jokes and jargon and language, where we just always assume that people who don't yet follow Jesus are among us, where we try to cultivate a memory of what it's like not to believe, do you remember what it's like not to believe in Jesus? And so to do that, we, get, we need to get to know people. We need to get to understand their hopes and their dreams, their fears, their questions. And we need to go to them. The days of Christendom are, are long gone, where the, the majority culture was Christian. And you could just assume that kind of Christianized, traditional, moral people are going to show up at our gatherings and we can reach out to them. It doesn't happen anymore. We need to go to them and welcome them to engage with Jesus. What are the hopes, what are the dreams of our culture? One of the things I've been thinking about this week and I've been journaling about a bit is, a, is a, our culture values has this pursuit, this dream of I, I just want to be free to do whatever I want. If you think about all kinds of ways this, this cultural dream shows up is I just want the freedom to be able to do whatever I want. That's why, that's why there's such a high priority place in retirement where I don't have to go up and do what the boss says anymore I don't sleep in if I want to. I can do whatever I want. We, we have this, this, this great need to be free to do whatever I want. We, want. we think about this morally. As long as I don't hurt anyone. What is that freedom? What is that freedom? What's that longing? What's underneath it all? We need to have good answers for that. We need to actually be able to show that that dream... The culture's dream of being free to do whatever you want is actually slavery and how Jesus actually gives true freedom without enslaving us. That's a message for another day, but we need to understand the questions that our culture is asking so that we don't have answers to questions that they're not asking. We have answers and stories that speak into the culture, the questions the culture is asking. So we need doing, we, we need to immerse ourselves in the arts of our culture, in the books in the movies, in the in the music, so we understand our culture and yet not syncing up with it. Not withdrawing, but not syncing up. Be aliens and strangers in the world. We need to show this world a different kind of community where we treat sex differently, where we treat power differently, where we treat money differently. And another thing is we need to practice Christian unity as much as possible on the local level. And in Christendom, when you know everyone's a Christian. So like that's like 30, 40 years ago, at least. That's dead, right? That's, that's dead. In Christendom, what, you, what churches could do is kind of define themselves over and against what the church down the road was like. And so um, I was even kind of convicted of this. And even in thinking about our values as a church, we've tried to shape these values that we've been sharing. These is not over and against the church down the road. So you like, we've got our catalog of churches and you're like, which one do I like? which values line up with my values as if we're competing with the church down the road. Our values are in competition with this world. Our values are in competition with this world. And we want to show this world a, a different value system, a different way of thinking of a different way of dreaming and different hopes, different values, not to distinguish from other churches, but to distinguish us from the world. And so let's not, spend, let's not spend our time and our energy bashing other churches or our own church. <laughs> let's not spend our time bashing each other, other congregations, or ourselves. And we're good at doing both. We're good at doing both. That plays into the common defeater of the gospel in our culture that Christians are intolerant people. Who really have no room for people who don't believe and think and act just like they do? So let's practice Christian unity on the local level as much as possible. We're on the same team, so let's pray pray for the flourishing of other congregations. Let's give generously to other congregations. I don't know if you know this. Cornerstone gave money, thousands of dollars, to another local congregation last year that needed some money. That's got to be our orientation. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. We need to do that even more and more and more to cooperate, to reach out to, to support other local churches. You say, well, how does that have anything to do with an outward face? I think that gives a powerful demonstration to this world, the Christian unity. You'll know you're my, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. And so let's practice Christian unity. Let's not spend our energy bashing one another or other churches. But let's interact with this world. Let's be blessed. Yes, let's relate to God. Oh, let's relate to God. Let's have powerful times of worship together. Let's experience his presence and, and, and trust in his grace and celebrate his goodness and receive his blessings with, with, with just incredible amounts of gratitude so that we can be a blessing. It's never about just us having these moments with God and just being blessed. It's always meant to turn around and face outwards so that others who have not yet tasted that the Lord is good could come to see and taste his goodness. So, Father, would you make us that kind of a church? Help us to see Jesus as perfectly fulfilling where we've failed. We have failed in the top line privilege, blessing of relating to you, and we've failed in the bottom line responsibility of representing you to this world. We failed in both, but Jesus, you have perfectly fulfilled them for us. And we want to be like you. We want to be like you, Jesus. And so make us that kind of people. Work powerfully among us. Work powerfully in our time of worship now so that we could go out as sent ones to this world all week long, in our jobs, working with Christian distinctiveness and with hope and with joy. So come and come and meet with us. Come and relate to us again so that we could represent you with power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.